Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie making process. Hosted by kids with incredible taste in outdated music, because every witty kid memorizes obscure 90s bands. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Con Industries. Let our sheer genius investment strategies take your balloon chips to new heights at Con Industries. There's a lot of puns in there. Yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Welcome to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is the show where we like to tease apart films and look for anything to kind of help us as filmmakers understand film in a new, exciting way. And also just kind of uncover things that we may not have really caught the first time around we see it and i think one of the fun things about doing this kind of show is i feel like we're helping people fine-tune their taste in mm-hmm. films mm-hmm. Um, because i think there's only so many conversations that you can listen to on this level before you go back to a standard rom-com and feel a little unsatisfied yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you know there's just there's just no way that you can be happy with formulaic things anymore yeah at least that's my hope i'm trying to spoil films for you on you know some (laughs) level (laughs) yeah so you see stuff that you didn't before you mean yeah yeah i mean it's it's important yeah you just kind of get away from the rote things that everyone kind of does like oh they're gonna announce their feelings or they're going to you can predict the movie that's Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some place for that, I guess, for throwaway movies. I like to watch a throwaway movie and popcorn and just kind of unplug my mind. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you also want to be challenged. And I think that's a lot of what I think is kind of going awry in in the entertainment industry is we're we're not being challenged anymore. And uh, we're, we're kind of taking the option of stories that we tell our kids, like the sea spot run. Mm-hmm. Instead of something that's going to make you think and uh, question, I don't know what you currently believe. And even even if at the end of the day you end up still believing that, mm-hmm. at least you have a better understanding of why you still believe that. I mean, at, at least those are the movies that win the awards. Yeah. Most of the time, <laughs> Most maybe. Of the time. Who knows? I was being a little facetious there. <laughs> Well, what are we doing today? So today we're going to be doing Castaway. Yes. I was very excited that we decided to do this one because it's been a long time since I've seen it and I wanted to see if it held up, you know? Same. Almost yeah. 20 years ago. And anytime I think you can spend a couple hours with Tom Hanks is time well spent. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Especially if you're an actor, up and coming actor. I mean, it's like, I mean, every, every time he's on screen, it's like a clinic, man. Yeah. Yeah. Masterclass. With that, note that there are spoilers. If you have not seen Castaway, please pause this episode. Go watch it. We're going to talk about a lot of details about it and, you know, give away everything. Um, and we don't like doing that for people. We like making sure that, that people have their own opinion of a, of a movie. If we hate it, that you love it, that's great. If you love it and we hate it, that's great, too. Um, everybody has their own opinion. And uh, I was always taught that opinions are never wrong, which is, which is wrong. There are incorrect opinions. There really are. (laughs) The older I get, the more I find incorrect opinions. However, in this case, uh, you know, whether you like a movie or not, it's important to, you know, have your own idea of of what you think of a film before somebody else tells you there. So please go watch it and then, you know, uh, join us again. Totally agree. We'll talk about a few things, um, story and theme and how subtext creates powerful emotions. Uh, a little bit of cinematography, there was one thing they didn't hear that really amused the hell out of me um, that I don't think I'd ever picked up on before, mm. and many of the other things. Awesome. And stuff? And stuff. 
Great. Well, a quick synopsis of the film. Uh, A FedEx executive undergoes a physical and emotional transformation after crash landing on a deserted island. He didn't crash on the island. True. Crashed and then floated to Whoever wrote said that synopsis island. got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by William Boyles Jr., uh, cinematography by Don Burgess. Sure. Uh, it's featuring Tom Hanks as Chuck Noland and Helen Hunt as Kelly. That's when this feeling came over me like a warm blanket. I knew somehow I had to stay alive somehow I had to keep breathing even though there was no reason to hope and all my logic said that I would never see this place again so that's what I did I stayed alive. I kept breathing. And then one day that logic was proven all wrong because the tide came in, gave me a sail. And now here I am. And I've lost her all over again. I'm so sad that I don't have Kelly. But I'm so grateful that she was with me on that island. And I know what I have to do now. keep breathing because tomorrow the sun will rise who knows what the tide could bring can we just keep listening <laughs> <You know. laughs> can we just you know we just start out, we would just listen to it again oh my god <laughs> it just uh, gets you right yeah man what yeah. was so yeah, it's probably it's been a few years since you saw this. What yeah. was the uh Well, I was really excited to see it because I remember really loving it before and you know, for specific reasons. One, I wanted to see a movie where there wasn't a lot of dialogue. It was like leaned heavily on the acting and you know, like you said earlier, anytime you can spend two hours with Tom Hanks, it's a good thing. Um, but also, you know, for like a um a survival story where you have everything you you really have everything you need right there right he did but it's the it's the learning how to find those things or you know how to build this thing that you need out of what you have you know kind of thing and it, it 100% held up it was amazing i mean from the very the opening shot it was amazing and i remember thinking in the opening shot okay okay i this is the crossroad at the end, right? I think, okay, it's highway 48. I'm going to remember that for the end. And it is. Yeah. And, um, uh, but yeah, from the opening shot all the way to the end, I just was in it and 
loved every minute of it. The directing is amazing. The writing is, in, I mean, it's probably one of my favorite written movies of all time. Like there's, which is so funny because yeah. there's so little dialogue, right? Yeah. So all of the writing takes place really um, in the blocking, right? And, and setting it up in the script, I, I assume. But they're just able to, to tie so much together and give you so much emotion out of so little uh, it, it was amazing. And the casting was fantastic. Helen Hunt. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I can't tell you anything that else, you know, that she's done where I was just like, Devastated. wow, that's yeah. <laughs> like, wow, that was really good. I'm not saying she's a bad actress. No. She's a great actress, but you know, to have a performance like that where 20 years later I can watch it and say, Oh my God, you've crushed me. You know, I mean, I can't, the, the scene where he's driving away, and she's standing there debating on whether or not to run out to get him. Like that is her moment in this entire movie. That's her moment. And she just crushes it. And, and I mean, so the casting, the music, <laughs> oh my God, Alan Silvestri is the composer and just, and not just the music, but where to put it. Yeah. Like in the scene you just played, putting it at the very end letting him have that whole line. And then just only at the end where he gives a little bit of silver lining saying, I was so happy that she was with me. Like, there we go. You know? Yeah. I, I just love it. 10 out of 10 out of 10 out of 10. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, even when I watch interstellar, like I don't, I I've had, cause yeah. you know, I've, we know anybody who's listened to this podcast knows it's like both of our favorite movie. Yeah. Um, I feel like, it used, it was just a totally different kind of movie. I get it. It's grandiose and big and a lot of CGI. And, and this is all minimalism. This is totally minimalist, but it does the exact same thing. Yeah. And I, I think this is right up there with, for me, with Interstellar. It just hit every single note. And I didn't, because I remember it being long. Yeah. I didn't feel like it was long. I, Do you yeah, know what I mean? It felt short. I was like, man, I thought we were on this island a little longer i thought it took a little longer to get him there yeah like it just really flows it really does beautifully yeah anyway i loved it yeah i could go on but and it's amazing as a quick aside like i love how they set up that that scene of the monologue we just listened to the first shot is on the ice which sets up that line later on yeah whenever he's like i have ice in my glass right now <laughs> like ice in my glass and just something as simple as let's open on this everyday common thing and point out how significant it is later because it surfaces. And that was my first thought actually watching this was like, wait, why are we looking at glass, uh, a glass of ice? And it's all one take. Yeah. Well, the right? shot from after that. Yeah. But after that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. we cut from that to, to his face and to then, face. and the, I mean, the lighting in that scene is kind of amazing too, because you got to think we start on the right side of his face or, you know, mm -hmm. on camera, right. And we, curve around to the other side of his face. Yeah. Good point. And that whole time we never see a shadow from a camera. Yeah. Um, so I'm guessing that they, I don't know, pushed out just a little bit and lit right in front of the camera. Um, which is probably why we have so much uplighting on his face, but mm -hmm. it was one of those things I realized I was like, wait, we're on the other side of his face, but I don't remember seeing any shadows. <laughs> uh, I had to pull myself out for a second, but I was still like tears in one eye and then I know. like squinting on the other. <laughs> I know. I know. This is one of the few movies that made me cry. Like I was at the end of it and I was just like bubbling and mm -hmm. gurgling all my yeah. snot bubbles. And it was like, so it amazing. held up for you. Yeah, man. And I would say the first real gut punch I had was 
his welcome party at the FedEx office and he looks out the window and he sees Kelly mm. completely losing it. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, 100% holds up visually, obviously performance, the writing. And I've been doing a lot of writing lately. I've just have a bunch of writing, directing projects. And so they're not nearly as like fun as this one. <laughs> well, a lot of it's you corporate don't have stuff. A, you yeah. don't have an island. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Not yet. But it was, so a lot of my thoughts have been on the writing front. I was like, man, why am I reacting so viscerally to some of the stuff that's happening? And a lot of it is you, you're having to create this world inside your head. And they do a really wonderful job of, exploring these questions and even something as simple as that opening scene is a story that I'd never fully put together before. And I've probably only seen this movie, you know, three or four times, but this was the first time I was like, Oh, Dick and Bettina get divorced. Yes. Like this is yes. also the I'm story. I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed that. Yes. That just really surprised me. I was like, oh, wow. Because at the end of the movie, Dick is off the sign. Right. And it's also fitting that they named him Dick because uh, the very first package that gets delivered is to him and he's cheating on her. Whenever the guy delivers it, he opens it and he talks to the, That's the other woman. Him. Yeah. Oh, it's from my wife. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> I don't know why I didn't notice that. It's so clever. Yes. Oh, and this whole movie is full of stuff like that. Yeah, it really Golly. is. The other funny thing that I noticed that really tickled me on a cinematography level was the Christmas dinner. Yeah. When they're all sitting around the table and they're, it's beautiful, right? He's surrounded by his loved ones, which I think is a great contrast to when he gets to the island, when he's surrounded by nobody except right. his own mind. But the way they dress that whole scene is hilarious because if you notice the coloring, everyone's wearing maroon. And that's hilarious because he gets maroon. Oh, I did not. <laughs> yeah. It's just things. this very subtle jab to a uh, foreshadowing of what's coming for him. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so I, I noticed that. I think that's, you know, just one of those things I was looking at the color. I was like, well, Maroon's not a Christmas color. Maroon. Maroon. Uh, <laughs> Dad jokes from and man, can you can can I just talk for a second and, uh, you know, we'll get into the story and mm. theme. One of the coolest things about the, this film, about the writing, is stuff like little little things that that carry forward into the film. So in that scene, we get the first, his first like, oh, man, my tooth. Yeah. Right, right. And that just, you know, it comes and goes away. And it comes and it goes away. So it's like, is that a thing or is it not a thing? I'm not sure. Maybe it'll, you know, and then that's the last scene before we transition to him being a badass on, on that Island. Yeah. Cause the very, it fades to black. And then the very next scene is the fish swimming and he shoots the, throws the spear at it and then it pans up and he's like standing 10 feet away, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it's like, that's right before the, the four year transition. But I think that that is a, it's such a testament to strong writing because, you know, he had to do so much stuff to be able to survive on that island, right? I would say that the tooth is definitely the extreme. It's yeah. like the most extreme thing that he had to do. I mean, he had to dig a grave and bury his friend. He had to, you know, like do a, a bunch of things, but knocking his own tooth out is that's the extreme. Okay. So now you are willing to do anything. We got it four years later. Okay. It, Cause we don't need to see anything after that. It's not, it's just going to be, 
anything after that is going to be less. That's the most extreme. Right. That's such a great point. Yeah, yeah, so, and it's a, and it's brilliant to use a tooth because it's for one so universal. Like, everybody hates tooth pain. Yeah, right? yeah. You understand how crazy it can drive you, yeah. um, and also the sheer pain of trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. Like going to the dentist is not easy, and those are professionals with all the gear in the world. Yeah, yeah. And so we have this you know innate visceral reaction to. Uh, and performing pain and stuff because I mean, it's mostly a lot of yelling. Right. But what they also do is they go and show us the source of the pain. Uh-huh. Like he punctures his leg. Oh, we see the leg get punctured. Yes. Uh, we see his infected tooth yeah. and then we see how he handles it. And it's just all of our nightmares. It's a good point to see it. Yeah. yeah. To see it happen. Yeah. Cause now it's, Oh, we go from, yeah, I kind of relate to, Oh God, it's like, looks infected and yeah. now he's holding a skate. Why are you reaching for that rock? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and I texted you right as you were watching the team. Yeah, right? I was literally paused and his hand was hovering over the oh, rock. <laughs> I was like, what's happening, Todd? <laughs> what's funny was, you know, I was watching it and I was about an hour in and I had to pause it like, and I paused it right on really? that accidentally. And Jenny, my wife was like, Oh my God, do not pause it right now. <laughs> That's too much anticipation. Yeah, exactly. But it's brilliant, man. There's yeah. so many little ways that you mm-hmm. that I still haven't picked up on. Like mm-hmm. I think I could probably watch this several more times. Yeah. And that's such a good observation because that's the perfect way to cut to yeah, we understand now we can put together the story of why he survived. Because you're right, mm-hmm. he's willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. On a cinematography level too, I love how the crash sequence is just so intense and horrific all at once i think it's a for one they do a smart thing right we this all the coloring shifts to this very dark and the sound ambient noise of the storm and the plane sounds it's all enough to combine with the camera you know being a little bit tighter um and it just all coalesces to make us feel just anxious you know there's no nobody who's ever been in the plane would you know enjoy any of that yeah (laughs) for sure but the other thing that i think really makes it work is it's an oddly personal scene like we're empathizing with him and his mistakes that he's making there on the plane like he's supposed to stay buckled in and um right we see that he wants to watch and we understand on an emotional level how important that watch is to him because it's an heirloom and it has her picture in it and it's time and we understand his perspective of time just from his opening little monologue when he's like, you know, being late is a sin. Mm-hmm. Um, ignoring the clock is a sin. And it's so intense. And then, of course, so we understand why he's doing it and we're empathizing with it. But we're also telling him, no, stop, just sit, sit. And so we're conflicted. And then to see the result of it, of that pilot, the co-pilot, like banging his head and bleeding and the horror on his face and the blood gushing and you just feel so many things at once. You're horrified about who's going to live and who's going to die. Because now this person that you're watching bleed and gush, uh, you want them to be okay. Um, but at the same time, you don't know that actor's name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you, you're, you're feeling for someone that you, in your heart of hearts, don't believe is going to make it. Yeah. And it sucks to see someone go from pain to death. Like Mm -hmm. generally speaking in film, if someone gets hurt, you're probably going to get to see them get better. It's very unusual for you to see someone get uh, hurt and then die. 
Mm. And that's a really tough thing to, to do. It's, I think that's another way of loading the gun, right? This idea of in writing in a film or usually even on TV, uh, if you see a gun get loaded, you have to see the gun get shot. And injuries are often that kind of way. You like you can't see an injury without one thing or the other. Like you see it get better, and which is usually the path it takes. Or you know, you usually see uh, it get way, way, way worse. Which mm-hmm. that version is usually reserved for like medical stories. I don't feel like I see that a lot of in this kind of film. Yeah. <laughs> that would be an interesting, you know, analytic thing anyway. And so it was just such a personal scene in all these little minute ways. Um, and of course, under towing all of that is his promise to Kelly that he'll be right back. Um, and which by the way, I love, Yeah, I mean, that's like a, you know, it's a stereotypical, I'll be right back. And even in his voice, the way he says it, you're like, we're just going to, F it. We're just going to put this in the strip, script because it's Tom Hanks and he can pull anything off. And he totally does. Because like when he delivered that line, I looked at Jenny. I was like, that's that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. We're all laughing, especially because... Because we know what's going to happen. Castaway. Yeah, it's called Castaway. We know he's marooned on an island. Uh, so why not just address yeah. that? You we'll know, lean like, into it. Yeah, that's totally fine. It's awesome. And then once we get to the island, I mean, they... They go wide. A lot of isolating shots that shows him very tiny in the frame and alone and by himself. And a lot of shots you can see him from head to toe. Um, And that really emphasizes that he is all by his lonesome. Yeah. And they do a lot of like lower, you know, shooting up at him too. So you can see like the, the, the mountain in the background or the vast sky or, or whatever, like, and I'm glad we're talking about this first because I just wanted to say like the way this was shot, Don Burgess, it was brilliant at it because it's so, it's, it's so easy to shoot this boring. Yeah. Right. I I think nine times out of 10, most times it would be shot bore, you know, a little bit boring by somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing. But it was really dynamic, even though it was all locked off. You know, it was like very little handheld. It was like very steady, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Which I loved, by the way, <clears throat> because, you know, if you think about it, when I'm looking at you, even if I'm walking or I'm, or I'm moving, right, my eyes are adjusting to what I'm looking at. Yeah, we have so this built-in stabilizer. Built-in, yeah, stabilizer, exactly. And so, you know, when you do something that's that's handheld, it kind of puts you off a little bit. And so it should be reserved for things like the crash scene, you know, or the scenes where he's, he's trying to get, get out of the break, you know, like trying to get away from the Island or, you know, stuff that's supposed to happen really fast, but all, nothing happens fast in the Island. That's right. Everything should be pretty steady. That's right. Like they have a lot of long, slow camera pans, uh, because like you just said, time passes slowly and we are now in his world and his world is painful and it's achingly slow. Yeah. So Uh, he did an amazing job. Fantastic. And I also love how they use all the ambient audio. And at times it even seems to drown out his own voice, especially towards the beginning when he gets there and he's yelling and, uh, it's all mixed in the audio right in line with like the, the waves crashing. Like nobody can hear Good them. Point, yeah. Even we can, you yeah. know, <laughs> and it just completely reemphasizes his world. There's also this very simple thing to do that. This is kind of cinematography basics, but I don't see it enough in like upcoming filmmakers or amateur filmmakers. I would say is whenever he's getting this realization of the porta potty uh, door has this potential we show him on the ground sitting next to Wilson, kind of studying it. 
and then it falls over. The wind knocks it over and he's still staring at it. And then he stands up. Well, that shot of him standing up is in two different shots. We have the first shot of ground level. We're seeing him and he stands up and he raises out of the frame. He exits the frame and then we cut to the new frame, which is, a, you know, a waist shot, you know, a, a medium shot. And he rises into that into frame. The frame. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're reestablishing our, our frame. And now they could have done a simple thing of, well, we're just going to dolly up or, or tilt up um, or boom up is probably more technically what they would have done. And but they didn't. And I think it's important because we're entering a whole new phase yes. for him. Yes. And that edit, that cut not only helps establish that, but also the way you enter and exit uh, a cut matters because if you had panned up or boomed up either way, like you're having to either one. Now you got to do this whole single take uh, and that adds a layer of complexity. But also if you want to reframe and get in tighter because in this new frame, Wilson's not going to be in it. Mm-hmm. And so now you're going to have all this empty dead space to your left. Well, let's reframe that also by establishing a whole new composition that's a little tighter and a little differently centered. And that's all just so much easier and there's so much more story and just a whole new composition. Well, and isn't it like a a thing, like when when a character has a realization, you are tighter in on them, yeah. right? So like you, you like you can see, their, see face. their face a lot better yeah. and clearer. And it's almost like a, and that's your aha moment. Like you get your ready for my close up. Yeah. Um, and so that's a perfect way to do it, right? Just, Totally cutting a little tighter. And it's funny because I think if Spielberg had shot that, it would have, it still would have been beautiful because he's a technical master, but he would have done a dolly in and a boom. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You would have started low and low and wide. Yeah. And then as that realization's happening, he would have pushed in and and Uh, boomed up all at the same time. And it would have been absolutely beautiful, but maybe it would have, taken away from all the other cinematography they had been doing up to this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Which, the whole thing would have been different. Yeah. Yeah. The whole true. thing would have been that. <laughs> that's kind of stuff, true. Right. I'm a much bigger fan of, of this kind of, yeah. this kind of work, you know, it's so, yeah, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was interesting was the, uh, the use of day for night. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Outside. Can you explain that? Can you explain that? Yeah. So shooting a scene at night can be challenging because if you're on an Island, that means you kind of have to have to light the entire island mm-hmm. if you're going to see its you know outline or the trees in the back or the even the beach at out behind your character because you're trying to emphasize that hey he's on an island um, and that can get tedious and if they were shooting on an actual island that becomes problematic with gear but what you can do is you can shoot something in the middle of the day and then in post it's basically a color grading effect where you darken this and that, uh, make the the sky a little bit darker. And they probably ended up doing sky replacements in post Mm -hmm. because obviously there's no stars in the daytime. The atmosphere is illuminated. Um, or we live on a, never mind. (laughs) Don't say it. Don't say it. (laughs) And so Mm. it's a, it's a cheating effect of we can get all the light that we need. And then we'll also, um, be able to to shoot it the way we want without too much hassle and in, and in certain places you can tell because there's 
because the sun is actually out in the shot, you see these hard shadows coming yeah. all over the island. Right. Um, Wilson has a shadow and the mountains have a shadow. Yeah. The, the moon isn't strong enough to cast that kind of shadow. Yeah. And right. even when it's brightest, yeah. it's not going to do that. <laughs> or at least not with without like a very long time lapse. Right. And so why does that get a pass? You know what I mean? Like, like in another movie, maybe uh, we might call it out as something that where it's like, man, it took me out of it. But in this movie, it didn't take me out of it at all. It really I mean, didn't. I, I knew it, I noticed it, but I didn't, it, I wasn't wanting for a night shot, you know? Yeah. That's a really good question. I think because maybe our emotional investment, maybe. but, but it felt really nice to see all the, the water glittering. Yes. And yes. The, the sky replacement certainly helped, you know? Yeah. But it added so much atmosphere. I mean, there's, there's, you know, I, I go to Galveston all the time. My parents are from there. There's been plenty of times where the moon has been really bright and where like, it seemed like things around me looked like it did in that film. Right. So I've been in situations where I, you know, I've been on a beach and the moon is so bright. It feels almost like day, you know? And so it could be, you know, maybe that's for me why I was able to kind of like throw, like not think about it because I'm like, okay, well it's just a full moon and it's really bright and, yeah. th- and that's fine. But there was also so much happening too. Like when he wakes up and he goes pee and he's like looking down and we see the light flickering. We're like, look up, look up, you know, and it takes him <laughs> so long. So we're not thinking about the day for night thing because there's stuff happening, you know, that's really true. And, and then on top of that, I think it also is representative of, his new skill set because he gains all these new skills, these survival skills. Yeah. Part of that is being able to see really well at night. Mm. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's been adjusted to it. Yeah. So maybe just shooting it at uh, day for night really helps illuminate how much of the world he can see. And of course, from a more simplistic level, it reemphasizes where he's at. His location is stranded on a mother loving Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Going into like story and theme. I think there's two different themes you could take away from this, and they're both kind of embedded in this. We'll start from the top. Like, time rules him. Like, fire, it can warm warm you or it can burn you down. You know, this is all his philosophy in the opening scene with him. And for him, losing track of time is a sin, like we said earlier. Um, so his life, his time, is dedicated to work. Like he even stole a bike. That's one of his famous stories. He stole a bike to deliver packages once, um, which is insane. Nobody in their right mind would take a kid's bike, much less a, a crippled kid's bike. <laughs> uh, well, although he, he denies that the kid was crippled. He's like, oh, I like that the kid is crippled now. <laughs> but he seems to be completely given over to, to time. I think it's really interesting because for him... He thinks his life is, you know, for Kelly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. certain amount of irony there because the, the thing that you spend most of your time on is what the thing that you really love. So he's he doesn't even realize that he has this uh, conflict going on within him about what's vying for his affections. Once he gets to this island, everything takes on a new meaning. Like the, the scene whenever he bashes his tooth out. We hang for a minute as he's passed out before we slowly dolly into the, uh, the flashlight mm-hmm. and we see that the, the battery dies out. Mm-hmm. He no longer has anything worldly anymore. And now it's completely on him to create his, his new world. And it goes back to the things that we take for granted. 
And I think that's one of the themes here is that we take a lot of things for granted. And for him, Kelly was one of those things. He mm-hmm. took her for granted. Yeah. Um, her very presence. I mean, they sat down to schedule when they were going to see each other next. Not when they were going to have a, their next date night. But the next time they would literally get to see each other. Yeah. And for the love of your life, that's not a good way to treat that person. Yeah. Um, that's a sin. That's a true sin. And they reinforce this in somewhat overt and somewhat light ways, like the cooked crab. Um, he tries to eat that crab and it just dribbles out of the shell and you're like, oh God, you're going to die if you eat that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then later on, like he has fire at the press of a button. He has this buffet of seafood that yeah. he would have killed for on the island and the lights he, he he's resting on the floor he has a bed and he's like i don't even know how to adjust this bed anymore i i've taken all these things for granted and he's just playing with the light flicking mm-hmm. light on yeah. and off um he took it for granted and the the watch he has her picture in um i think is symbolic of his choice to lose track of time to lose sight of her but at the end of the day, it also is kind of this double-edged thing because I think the other theme, the major theme, is hope, right? The, the monologue that he plays is keep breathing. Who knows what the tide could bring in tomorrow? And it's the things that we take for granted, you know, uh, maybe can also pro- can provide us hope. Yeah. And we all take all of these things for granted. I all mean, of us. And yeah. it, I wouldn't say that it's like... A, it's hard to say that that's a bad thing because anything that you have all the time, you're going to at some point take it for granted. It's yeah. just hum- the way we are built as humans. Like, you know, you take the air you breathe for granted, you know, I mean, even, even if, you know, you just came back from, uh, you just came, came, you were, you almost died underwater doing scuba diving and you came up and you got a breath of air right before you died a year later, you're taking that air for granted again because it's always there. So, you know, I think that's just, it's a way of, of pointing that out in a, in a, in that moment to people like, look, you know, you have so much like notice it, you know, totally. Because I don't think any of us are looking at him and the way he's living his life and saying, you're screwing up, buddy, or you're to blame for this. Not at all. We all work and we all have things in life that we're trying to do. And, and sometimes it's not until you're pushed to the brink that you realize, Okay, maybe I could stand for a slight readjustment. Yeah. And, you know, it's good. It's good that they set it up to where not only do they not have kids, but they're not married. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to to work a lot and leave your wife or, you know, your girlfriend. It's another thing to leave your wife. It's another thing to leave the mother of your children. So or father of your children, whatever. And so because they're just dating, you know, it's not as we don't blame them. We're not like. You know, they're sitting down and they're talking about when they can see each other again, which, yeah, is rough, but they're just dating. You know, she's just his girlfriend and it's not like the end of the world. And yes, he was going to propose, but he hasn't done it yet. So, yeah, he's going to work his ass off and do all these things that like maybe if he had kids, he wouldn't do. He wouldn't leave on Christmas Eve to go fly halfway across the world if he had kids, you know? True. Because then we wouldn't we wouldn't look at him in in the same way that we do. We would look at him like you're being an asshole, man. You know, like you need to be with your family. It's Christmas Eve. You know what I mean? That's such a great point. Yeah. I mean, I just now thought of it because of what you said, but. But um, it, it's, they set it up really in a in situation where you as a viewer identify and understand um, why he's doing what he's doing so that you can relate to him and be 
there with him. You know, like I, I would probably do that if that was my job and I wasn't married and I was single, well, not single, but I had a girlfriend, but, and I had, you know, it's a prestigious job. I, I travel all over the world all the time and I make good money. I probably, I probably do that, you know? I mean, yeah. that's, yeah. And why, and he's done it, he's done it a hundred times. So why would he think that this flight is any different? Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well said. Um, going into subtext, like this is one of those things. So theme and subtext are two completely different things. Um, theme is more, it's thematic. It's what is the movie kind of about without making you say what it's about. It's what is every scene revolving around. And for him, it's taking things for granted and it's hope. And these are very simple concepts. Theme is usually going to be a very simple question that something's trying to answer or at least ponder on. Um, in this case, it might be, what do we take for granted? What would it take for us to survive on a, a without it? Yeah. 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 And so those are thematic questions. Whereas subtext is more of what's not being said. So you might look at a scene like them at the end and he's sitting in her kitchen and he's taking a drink, drink of coffee. They never drink the coffee. They don't. She doesn't even finish making it, by the way. That's pretty good. Which is what Jenny noticed when she watched <laughs> the end the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and then so when I was watching it uh, and she had fallen asleep by that point, I, w- I was like really watching that scene, whatever, like, oh, no, they never touched the coffee. She doesn't even finish like. You know, she brings out the milk and it's still sitting on the counter. And th- anyway, keep finish, that's pretty finish. cool. Um, and so, but they're talking about the football team. They're talking about the Titans, yeah. but you can see she's holding her breath as they, they settle into the scene before they've said a word. And he's like, let me get this straight. Cause he's looking at all these pictures of her family on the wall and you know, they haven't seen each other in ages and everything in you is like, Oh man. How is he feeling right now? Mm-hmm. You're, you're as an audience member, we're having to, there's all this subtext that's embedded into this, into the scene based on everything we've watched up to this point. We know that they were just about to get engaged. They were in love and he stayed alive for her only to find out she's got a family. Yeah. yeah. Emotions galore. Yeah. And so there's all this subtext that he doesn't say. And his first question is, Tennessee has a football team? (laughs) We have a football team? And it's like, it's this popping of the balloon of laying out all this anxiety, like he's taking this in good stride. Um, But we still know that underneath the surface, and that's what subtext is, it's it's underneath the text of what's being said. And by making us create these questions in our head, you can begin to inflate the balloon again. Yeah. And now we're feeling things that, that we're reading on her face, the relief of, Oh God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's not going to lose his mind or we know whatever she's thinking. We still don't know because she never says even in like the first flight that he gets on, there's tension there because the subtext of the movie yeah. as he crashes in a plane. So just seeing him in a plane is like, Oh my God, is this the moment? Is this the scene? And only to find out, no, he gets to go have, you know, Christmas dinner and he's blah, blah, blah. And then the next plane, you're like, okay, well, this is it. There's a storm. Uh-huh. And then it, the subtext is, we know this is called castaway and that what's going to happen. 
we don't necessarily know when or how or if he gets out of that situation. Um, that's all this built-in subtext to the movie itself. Um, and even so good whenever he's they're doing the gift exchange in the car before he gets on the fatal flight. He uses the keychain knife to uh, unwrap the, the pocket watch. And we see, oh, man, he's going to have a knife. Great. He gets out and he's walking towards the plane. We're like, oh, good. Like he's got something to help him survive out there. And then she's like, hey, I need those keys. And then we see him give those keys back up. Yeah. Like that's this great subtext thing that and it's also a form of dramatic irony because we understand what's about to happen to him when he does not. There's all kinds of different ironies and dramatic ironies when the audience member understands something that the characters in the story do not. And they use dramatic irony to perfection in just these little moments yeah. of Oh God! Like, get your tooth fixed. Right? Yeah. You don't <laughs> understand. That flight, get your tooth fixed. <laughs> oh God! Keep the knife, but just to hang out. But why would he? Yeah. As a character in a story who doesn't know what's about to happen, you don't get the benefit. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they use those to to play with our emotions um, and use all these subtextual things that help us emotionally invest on it. And then, of course, on the island. There's a subtext between and the, the blackout period, you know, four years later or however long. What happened in that interim? Now we have to build into it based on the subtext of the scenes. Mm-hmm. He just speared a fish from 10 feet away. Yeah. Subtext says this guy's gotten good at fishing. <laughs> yeah. And we had seen him first, like before, try to do it and fall in the water. Yeah. And like, just it was hilarious. <laughs> He's he's such a perfect actor. Because he's he can make you laugh in a second and cry yeah. in the next. You know, that's such a hard skill. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's developed you know suicide or survival skills, but he also survived a suicide, and we have to build that in based on the context of everything that they're they're giving us in those those moments. And then at the same time, we're 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 asking ourselves, has he gone insane? Mm-hmm. He's talking to this volleyball. Like it's a real human being. He's emotionally losing his mind. But then we also see a hint of, no, he's still sane because he acknowledges that he's talking to a volleyball. Yeah, yeah he knows that. <laughs> it is a hard thing to grapple with, the idea of aloneness and isolation. But then the cool thing about subtext is the emotional devastation it can get out of us because what's unsaid is usually the loudest thing. And then forcing us to say the things that they aren't is like 10 times more devastating and just watching them and seeing how they dance around, how they feel. But I think we understand it more emotionally without them sitting around and announcing every unsaid word at the end. You're yeah. About, yeah. Going back to the, the rain sequence. Yeah. And, and I think that's so beautiful. It's that's how I think you get the most emotional impact. It's by not saying things and by setting it up contextually with all these things unsaid through mm-hmm. the subtext of what's happening. And that going back to what you said earlier, is like, this is one of the best written films, you know, of all time. I mean, the sheer fact of it being of it raining at the end. Yeah. Imagine that scene without rain. Yeah. Boring. Yeah. Right. Like totally not the same. I mean, what does the rain do? Okay. So the rain, it gets him inside. She's like, come in out of the rain. Right. It gets them into the the garage. They open the garage, like they get into the garage out of the rain, right? Into the car, right? He he backs out. It keeps her in the garage 
for too long, right? Because she wants to run after him, but it's raining, so it keeps her in. And then they're all out in the in the rain. They're both out in the rain after she runs out there and he comes back and they're they're kissing, which kissing in the rain, I mean, it's just gorgeous, right? Yeah. But then it gets them both in the car. He puts her in the car out of the rain, right? And then it makes him drive back up the driveway to drive her home. The rain dictates that entire last scene, which is like the the scene of the film right and it's it also obviously because it's rain it adds a lot of uh, dramatics to everything and and stuff but it forces all of these things to happen in a way where like you know she might not need to stand in the garage and wait for him you know like and make that decision to run out in the rain after him that's a harder decision than if it wasn't raining that there's more weight to that decision now right and then his decision to drive her back, like all of these things, it was just, that's awesome. And that's written in the script, you know, like yeah. that was written down. This is how it's going to look. This is how we're setting this up. And it's, and then in the monologue that he delivers, it's raining outside, you know, and whenever, I don't know how you feel, but when I love the rain, like yeah. when it's raining, my favorite, yeah. I just, I, I feel like stuff is happening and I, just because, you know, rain is falling, yeah. you know, probably less stuff is happening because it's raining, but it just makes me feel like, like I'm part of something. I don't know why it just really does. It really like grounds me to, to the earth and, and my life and my existence and the beautiful things around me. And so anytime I see it in, in a scene like this, I really enjoy it. It really like whatever is happening is more important it's more like okay i need to pay attention to this that's man that's that was a really great breakdown because films normally even films that i deeply love tend to use rain more symbolically of uh this is a dramatic moment and um we're either having a watershed moment you know uh, to put it on the nose um, or there's a cleansing effect or this is a really dark difficult time and rain can symbolize any number of things and so it's usually used on a much more symbolic level and on that level alone it still works incredibly well for this film but to your point like it's used so much more practically as a also as a mechanism for what's going to drive the action yeah that's brilliant yeah it's so it's just anyway it's just amazing and that scene like gutted me Completely. I mean, you know, it, it, they set it up so well with with him not saying pretty much anything in the house, and then all of a sudden he blurts out, "I should never have gotten on that plane." Like he just breaks it because you know you're sitting there and you're saying what you're thinking, like you were saying earlier, "What would I say?" You know, we're sitting because nothing's being said, so the only thing I can do as a viewer is say is put myself in that situation and say, "What? What would I say? I don't know." I, I I would say this, you got to say this or you got to say that or whatever. And then you start thinking about it. You're like, maybe I wouldn't say it cause she's married and she's got kids. Like, I don't want to make her feel bad, but I love her and I can't believe, you know, and is he bitter? Is he resentful? Right, right, right. We don't know his feelings or anything. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, self ownership. Yeah. And then stuff opens. She's like, come with me, you know? And, uh, um, but still like she doesn't open yet. You know, she says, come with me. And you're like, okay, where are you going? Where are you going to take me? Oh, here's your car. Like who gives a shit about my car? You know, like that's not, you know, I just told you I shouldn't have gotten on that plane, you know, and we didn't get anything enough from you. And then she runs after him and we get that from her, you know, and, uh, which is, 
and they had, they had to get it out of their system. They had to say those things. They had to have that kiss, you know, and in any other situation, you're sitting there thinking you're married yeah. and you got kids and you're making out with this dude in the driveway, like in the rain, this is not right. But in this situation, you're thinking he could totally drive away with her and I'd be okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that leads me to one more thing that I wanted to touch on in that scene, which was, and I want to ask you this question and cause I have my own opinion, but I want to ask you a question when they're in the car and they're talking at right. And they're, you know, he gives her that look or whatever. And he starts putting the car into, into gear and she stops him and he says, you have to go home. And then he pulls into the, the driveway. My question to you, which you know is coming is if she hadn't said that if she hadn't stopped him, do you think he would have driven away or he would have driven into the driveway? I think he was going into the driveway. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Good. <laughs> Good. Right. But that's the thing. You were sitting here. This is a 20 year old movie and we're sitting here asking that simple question that we both had. We both had that, had that realization, that thought, you know, and that is a thought that like, most movies aren't going to make you ask yourself, you know, yeah. would he have done or whatever, but they take these tiny little moments and they, they just kind of like create them out of nothing. It feels and like it's, it's an understanding on so many levels for one, trusting the audience, of course, as we like to talk about, yeah. but also trusting yourself as a storyteller and understanding that I'm giving everyone enough to go on here, understanding that humans are complex beings and writing complex beings. Because the cool thing about that exact moment is he wants Kelly to understand that she understands she has to go back. Oh, yeah. yeah. He puts it into drive and he gives her an opportunity to yeah. understand where what needs to happen next. To, for her. Yeah. So that she can. That's right. God. Damn. <laughs> How good is that? Like so good. All of these things in this one little moment, the last two seconds. Oh, it's so, oh man. Anyway. And then the last thing. Yeah. The last thing is the last final scene, right? He's sitting there. He meets, what's her name? Uh, but, uh, Bettina. 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 Yep. Meets Bettina and she's gorgeous, yep. right? And really sweet. Tells him where all the roads go. Drives away. He stands out in the middle of the road and he looks at all of them and he looks back at, at her and it's just, I don't know how, I don't know how he does this, but like he can make, like I said earlier, he can make you cry and then laugh in two seconds, right? In the scene before this, you've been gutted. You've uh, been like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I don't know what I'm like, you know, life is over. I've lost this thing that has kept me alive for the last four years. And then in the very next scene, the very last shot, as he's looking toward camera down that road, you have this feeling of his life is beginning of, of everything's going to be okay. And it's 100% on his performance. Yeah. One, I mean, yes, all the other things, you know, go into it and everything, but I'm putting everything on his shoulders and he, Tom Hanks just makes everything okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that is a perfect time to end it. This has to be Zemeckis's best thing he's ever done. I mean, I looked at his catalog and there's, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff, but like there's not from beginning to end. 
it's just perfect. Fantastic. Anyway. And what's great on that, on that note is I feel like I had a realization watching that final scene mm-hmm. for when he's at a literal crossroads in life. Right. Um, he's staring at an intersection yeah. and doesn't know where he's going to go. And on the one hand, yeah, and maybe he looks back at her, but I, I think he's looking at us. I think he's looking at the audience. I like it. And saying, choose. Yeah. The only real sin in life is to not choose. And stay stagnant. Stay in that stay, crossroad. Yeah. 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 And I think it's such that's a well simple call to action because I think that's kind of the heart of this movie too is time is going to keep moving forward. Whether or not you respect it, whether or not you keep uh, your eye on it or and the only and we're taking it for granted by not choosing our own destiny mm-hmm. and what we want to do next. I think he would have lived they I don't think they would have stayed together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think based on the way he was going, mm-hmm. he was never going to prioritize her. Yeah. He was always going to choose work over her mm-hmm. and she was going to eventually come to resent it. I think no matter what if he had stayed or if he'd gotten stranded, he lost her. Mm-hmm. He lost her a long time That's ago. That's a good point. Yeah, and so I think the movie is communicating to us, like choose what it is you want your life to be, and you don't need to get stranded on an island in order to reprioritize and figure out what is it, what is it that you want in life. And if it's career, great, go for it. If it's family, great, go for it. Yeah, whatever yeah. it is, make your decision. Well done. I like that. <laughs> Jeez. Do you think you went to Patina? I hope so. I, hope I feel so. like they set that up so strongly. Yeah. And you know what a funny thing is? But it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't. Yeah. Anyway, really what's doesn't. the funny thing? Is that if you pause it on whenever he's on the island yeah. and he opens up, there's divorce papers. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if you freeze frame it. No. What? It's not her. Okay. But that would have been hilarious. Yeah. But what do you do? It's Mr. and Mrs. Street um, is the names of the people. But the funny thing is the, the text and the, the thing is like. Uh, Mr. Street or Mrs. Street, we know uh, you've been avoiding, you know, filing and signing off on these papers. Uh, and we we realize you've retreated to some uh, warmer climate. And no matter, <laughs> but you need to know that no matter where you go, we're going to be able to find you. <laughs> Not anywhere. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of alluding, you know, in a funny yeah. way to him being on the island. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Look uh, at you finding all these subtle, little, yeah. little things. <laughs> So yeah, man, that that's wow, so much fun, man, dude. God, this, is, this has been one of my favorite episodes Great for pick. sure, same, for same. sure. Gosh, um, yeah, same with you. Like, I give this a ten for sure. Okay, good. Um, and I hope I'll watch it again and again. Like, it's just yeah. I might I might like watch it once a year. It's yeah. like a yearly thing, just to remind me of like you know what I got. I that's think. a good point. Maybe like a good holiday time, yeah. you know, yeah. to just sit and respect and love everything that you got going on. In your I life. like it. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got. What are you awesome. uh, recommending this week? Uh, I mean, gotta, gotta go with Forrest Gump, man. Gotta do it. <laughs> I mean, my wife's name is Jenny, so <laughs> <laughs> gotta do it. How many Jennies do you have? <laughs> I only have one. Huh. <laughs> I only have one Jenny. Forrest had 13 Jennies. <laughs> what? The boats. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just a fantastic, uh, I mean, you know, Another, another, you know, clinic 
that Tom Hanks is, puts on. I, I, there's nothing that I've ever seen him do that, that has left me wanting. He's just amazing. Uh, but that film is so well written and it was just brilliant for its time and still brilliant. And yeah, it's a lot of fun to watch and it's painful to watch and it's, it's, uh, uh just a wonderful film. Awesome. I'm going to recommend, uh, professor Marston and the wonder woman. I don't I what it, I I don't know that. Yeah, it's I caught it on Hulu and our friends Heather and Joe yeah. uh, had recommended it to you know at least on Facebook I think a while back and it just popped up on Hulu and I hit play and it's wonderful. Cool. Um it's about the making of Wonder Woman as uh, the comic book and it oh, cool. goes to some very surprising places and it's interesting and I think it relates to this movie in a way that uh there's more than one way to feel isolated. And to mm. feel alone in the world, um, you don't have to be on a literal des- desert island. Sometimes society puts you there, and I think that movie is wonderful. Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Um, it's surprising in a lot okay. of ways. Um, highly recommend that for I sure. I like it. Awesome. Nice. So stay tuned for next week. What we're gonna do? Avengers Endgame. Okay. <laughs> Why not? I feel like it would be if you. And it's been almost 40 episodes since we did Infinity War. Oh, that's perfect. So, yeah. But when does it drop? Is it it's coming out soon? Yeah, it comes out right. uh, this weekend. Oh. Already? We're recording. Jeez. Well, for when this podcast airs, it's yeah, this yeah. weekend. But Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I'm, awesome. I'm excited to see how that turns out. Um, don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes. Uh, leave us a note saying if you'd like us to cover a thing. We have several uh, requests coming up that in the next few weeks so i hope everyone stays tuned as we tackle some really fun movies uh and very different movies at that yeah um i think Great. it's gonna be really damn fun if you want to comment on this episode you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash castaway so we'll leave you with a quote of the day by stephen hawking black holes ain't as black as they're painted they're not the eternal prisons they they were once thought Things can get out of a black hole, both on the outside and possibly to another universe. So if you feel you're in a black hole, don't give up. There's a way out. Wow. By Stephen Hawking? Stephen Hawking said this? Wow. How good is that? That's beautiful. I was hoping to find something on time. Like I was just like, man, yeah. um, I'd like to hear what he, he thinks about time in general because I don't know if anybody's written or theorized more about time than Stephen Hawking. And, of course, black holes warp space and time um, in surprising ways. But this, I thought, conveniently conveys everything that the movie's kind of talking about. It's like, yeah. man, he at one point gave up hope and... He decided that, you know what, no, there's there's more. There's a reason to keep going. And that warm blanket, I think, if we give it enough time, can can take us all there. Sometimes the best way isn't out, but sometimes it's in. It's like, you know, let me... I'm struggling with something instead of ignoring it. Let me dig into it. Like, yeah, my tooth hurts. I can ignore it or I can address it and get better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to think. Or of my body it. shut down, but I'm a smart guy. And I can still help the, the human race Yeah, with my mind. I mean, Jesus, what he a, was what? 21. Yeah. So like super young when all that's, when everything. God. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, his, his story is just a, in, the fact that he said this, you know, okay. I, yeah. I mean, you know, there are guys that, that put up with a lot of stuff and that go through a lot, but that, 
I mean, from a guy like that who hasn't been able to do anything with his body for his whole life, pretty much, it's an incredible statement, you know? Anyway, beautiful, beautiful quote, man. Great selection. All right, so thank you guys for joining us. We really appreciate it. Join us next week where we're going to cover Avengers Endgame. And please subscribe and review us on iTunes, as Wes said, and share us with your friends. If uh, you have other friends that like uh, films, please please share us with them uh, and tell them to give us suggestions and stuff. I mean, we love doing this for, for anybody who loves listening. So until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Mm-hmm.